Hi, my name is Amy. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 8, verses 4 through 8. What are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? You've made them only slightly less than divine, crowning them with glory and grandeur. You've let them rule over your handiwork, putting everything under their feet. All sheep and all cattle, the wild animals too, the birds in the sky, the fish of the ocean, everything that travels the pathways of the sea. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Aaron. The New Testament reading is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know this because God knew them in advance, and he decided in advance that they would be conformed to the image of his son. That way, his son would be the first of many brothers and sisters. Those who God decided in advance would be conformed to his son, he also called. Those whom he called, he also made righteous. Those whom he made righteous, he also glorified. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Kat. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 5, 17, 17 through 20. Jesus replied, my father is still working and I am working too. For this reason, the Jewish leaders wanted even more to kill him, not only because he was doing away with the Sabbath, but also because he called God his own father, thereby making himself equal with God. Jesus responded to the Jewish leaders, I assure you that the son can't do anything by himself except what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. The father loves the son and shows him everything that he does. He will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. The gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray this morning. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word to us today. We ask that as we listen to your word this morning, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear your voice, that you would challenge us, that you would change us, that you would conform us to the image of your son. We pray these things in his name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Good to see all of you this morning. My name is Glenn Packiam. I'm the pastor here at New Life downtown, and this is Family Sunday, so welcome to all of the young people and children in the room this morning. If you are 12 and under, can I get a whoop, whoop? Mm, okay, all right, not bad, that's pretty good. Um, maybe we'll hear from you throughout the service today, and that's all right. Listen, we do this a few times of the year, uh, not just to, well, let's give the teachers a break in children's ministry and all of that, though they are grateful for that. Uh, we do this because we need to remind ourselves every once and again, uh, once in a while, that we are part of the family of God together. All the generations, uh, whether you're married or not, uh, we're part of a household of faith, a family of God. And so it's good for us to have generations in the room together. It's good for us to learn what it means to defer to one another, uh, to be patient with one another. So if you've got a baby that's squirming in your arms, listen, we're going to be extraordinarily patient with you today. Everybody say yes, amen. This is what the church is. We're also in a series called Whole Life, 
And the idea of this series is what it means to have an integrated spirituality. What, what, what is that phrase, integrated spirituality? What is that? You see, we have a tendency to think of our lives in compartments, and we have a tendency to think of our life with God as our spiritual life, and then we have our work life, and then our family life, and our friendship life, and all of this stuff. And we put it, not, not only do we segment our lives, but we also tend to sort of give ourselves a little report card, as if these were different areas of our life that could be graded. And so you say, well, my prayer life is an A+, plus, but my relationship's kind of a B-, minus. my work, you know, maybe C+, plus, you know, and you go on and you grade yourself that way. But actually, this is not how, uh, this is not what it means to follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we're invited to follow him with our whole lives. We don't compartmentalize and say, well, me and Jesus are doing good, but at work I need to do this and I need to live this way because that's just what I got to do. No, listen, the, the idea is how do we offer God our whole lives? And so today we're going to talk about work. In fact, today and next Sunday with Pastor Jason, we're going to wrestle with the question of work. What does it mean to offer God our work? And today's question is really a quite a simple question phrase, why work? Uh, all of you who have little kids in the house, you, you, you might realize that kids have a way of making you think about something in a more profound way because they're always asking you, but why? Questions. And all of our kids at some point said, why do you have to go to work? To, to me, to Holly, to different, you know, different times when we would leave. But no one has been as persistent and persuasive as young Jane, our youngest of four. Uh, Jane just turned seven last month, and Jane is very persuasive and persistent in these questions. And so she says, well, Dad, why do you have to go to work? And I say, well, this is what, you know, God has called me to do. But why? Well, because, you know, and I'm running out of answers here. And so I start to say, well, you know, they provide and there's people counting on me. And but why, Dad, do you have to be the one to do it? And at some point you say, well, I don't really know, but I'm supposed to do this, right? And maybe if you stop, and here we are on the first Sunday of July, and all of you are here ostensibly because you're not on vacation, so maybe you're asking yourself the same question, why am I still working? And there's several ways to answer this question. Maybe one of the most obvious ways of answering this is to say, well, we work because we need money. And money is, you know, maybe that doesn't sound as, as nice of a way to put it. So you say, well, provision, it's to provide. I'm working because I got to provide for myself. I got to provide for my family. Hey, I'm working because I got to provide for others because I want to be generous. That's not a wrong reason to work. That certainly is one of the reasons we might work. But is that reason enough? Because what happens then when you are between jobs that pay? What happens when you're retired? Do you no longer have a, a work that you're supposed to do? If work is only linked to provision and money and resources, what happens when we're between jobs or when we're retired? And there's a whole generation that is now aging into retirement and choosing that and saying, now what, Lord? Is there any more work for us to do? But even if you are earning a paycheck right now, if your sole reason for work is money and provision, there's always that question of, well, how much is enough? And this is the hardest question to answer if you're self-employed or if you run your own business, you're a realtor, and you're like, well, I could always say yes to more clients. I could always answer the phone a little bit more. I could always take, because how do you know when enough is enough? And so there's new problems that are introduced by answering this question with 
money and provision. Well, what if we answer the question by saying, oh, well, I work for significance and status. I, I want to feel like I'm important. I, I want to prove a something to my parents, maybe. I, I need to show them that I can really make something of my life. Well, there again, there's a, the problem of saying, well, how do you know when your status is enough status? And how do you know if you've hit the ceiling of your potential? I mean, it's wonderful to be young because you've got potential ahead of you and everyone can say, oh man, you're going to have a promising career. But what do you do when you're, you know, in your mid-40s or something, you're like, I think this is as good as it's going to get. And if the only reason you're working is for some sense of upward mobility and significance and status, is there any reason to go to work if you've hit your peak or passed it? <sighs> None of you, of course. <laughs> Nervous laughter. A third way we kind of answer that question of why we work is maybe we say, well, I just need a sense of meaning and, and purpose to my life. And it's, it's my job or my work that provides that meaning. That is certainly true. But what if you hate your job? We have been sort of fed this lie, and it's been a lie that's gone on for a few generations now, where find something that you love to do and you'll never work a day of your life, right? You heard that? Some of you want to call baloney on that and say, look, even the things you love to do have aspects of it that you don't love to do. And it's difficult to find something that is 100% satisfying or meaningful. I was talking to a friend a few months ago who works for Facebook, and he said, everybody in Silicon Valley is driven by this notion that we're all out here hustling and grinding and chasing the dream because we love it. But he's like, but actually the company is trying to help us confuse life and leisure with work. He said at Facebook, we have the best breakfast buffets and lunch buffets and dinner buffets, and it's all provided, and there's nap pods and there's game rooms, and there's all the stuff because they don't want you to ever leave. They actually want you to think that, no, no, I'm choosing to be here. I love this. This is what I would do for fun. And he says, keeping up that front is destroying people. Is it because nobody knows how to actually find anything else that is meaningful? Because work is the only source of meaning. And then, what about some of us who our work is the unpaid but critical work of caring for children at home? And so you're saying, well, maybe you're a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom, and you're saying, how much meaning can I extract from doing the dishes and laundry and changing diapers for the umpteenth time? Right? You can put a spin on this, but like it's, it itself is not meaningful. So if we're trying to go to work and extract meaning out of it, it's going to run dry pretty quick. So why do we work? If not just for provision, if not just for significance, if not just for meaning and purpose, then why? This morning I want us to go to the scriptures and maybe, uh, and list, I want to list for you about five things. There's probably a longer list, but I want to list, say, five things about work. Now, I'm conscious that we have kids in the room, so we'll try to clip through each point fairly quickly. And hopefully, all it will do is uh, put a sort of uh, germ in your mind that says, wait a minute, I want to explore that more. I want to think more about that. Genesis 1. We go back to the beginning. Genesis 1:26. then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge. Now, pause here for a moment. Somebody say, so that. So that. Now, 
there, I love the way this translation puts it because it's very easy for us to think, oh yeah, I'm made in the image of God. And oh yeah, there's some bit about dominion and rule. But in this translation, you understand that the two things are connected. Your identity is connected to your purpose and authority. And so God says, let's make them in our image so that they may take charge. Let's let them reflect us, look like us, so that they can be an extension of the triune God, to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. And God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them, male and female God created them. Now there's a lot here that, uh, that is worth exploring uh, some other time, but in the ancient world, when you, when you made an image of yourself as a king, it was so you could extend the representation of your rule in other regions. There's no mass media, and so the only way to say this is what your king is like is to make an image of the king. And when God says, let's make humans in our image, it's God's way of saying, let the human beings be an extension of us. Let them actually extend our work into the world. Now contrast this to the Babylonian quote-unquote creation myth, where Marduk says, let's make, Marduk is the name of the Babylonian God, I know that all of you knew that already, but Marduk says, let's make human beings to be our slaves, to do our grunt work, to be our minions. And Genesis says something different. So the first thing we need to note is that work is a pre-fall call. Work is a pre-fall call. Now some of you, you think, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just thought that my work was a necessary evil because we live in a sinful world. Genesis says before there was sin, before there was a serpent, before there was rebellion, before there was pain and suffering, there was work. And you're like, oh no. This is kind of bad news because I was sort of hoping that heaven would be like a trip to the Caribbean. That heaven would be an eternal basking in the sun and sipping on an ice cold drink. No, no, no. Listen, the whole idea of creation was for human beings to join God. So work is a pre-fall call. Psalm 8 says this, it says, what are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? You've made them only slightly less than divine, crowning them with glory. Somebody say glory. Glory, glory and grandeur. You've let them rule over your handiwork, putting everything under their feet. All sheep and all cattle, the wild animals too, the birds in the sky, the fish in the ocean, everything that travels the pathway of the sea. Uh, that's the whole text. Okay, uh, I wasn't sure if there was more. Work, secondly, is part of our glory. Work is part of our glory as human beings. Now, this is a strange thing maybe for some of you to think like this. To say, are you really telling me that my ability to do something, to contribute, to bring something of the earth is part of my glory. It's part of your glory. It's not grunt work. It's glory. I mean, what if you woke up every morning and said, Jesus, thank you for the crown of glory that you've given me. Now help me to rule in your way. And that leads us to the very next thing. Work is how we reflect God's wise and loving order into the world. Imagine this. 
Work is not just, well, I just got to get tasks done. I just got to get, no, no, no. Work is our glory because we get to reflect God's wise and loving order into the world. We get to bring order where there's chaos. You see this even in Genesis, even pre-sin. Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the human and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it, to cultivate it, to bring something from it. Later on, God will tell Adam that he gets to name the animals. That's a kind of ordering of the world. That's a kind of bringing order and wisdom into the world. Now stop and reflect for a moment. What could that look like? What could that look like in your home, at school, at, in your neighborhoods, at your places of paid work, the places where you volunteer? Say, God, how can I actually reflect your wise and loving order into this place? Work, fourthly, is collaborating with God to cultivate his world. Oftentimes, we, we use very loosely the phrase uh, creativity. And uh, when I was much more involved than I am now with songwriters and recording artists and all of that, uh, people used to uh, put on conferences for creatives. Uh, we're calling all creatives, and we got to be creative, and we're, we're creative because God is creative. And I get the point. But I'd like to suggest to you that actually none of us actually create only God creates out of nothing. The rest of us are cultivators. We're taking the stuff that God has made and we're cultivating. We're causing it to come together and grow and say, now, wait a minute, what if I take this piece and this piece? What would happen if we did that? Now, what would happen if we do this? How could we make something grow from this place? Now, I know you're listening to this and you're thinking, Glenn, there's one big elephant in the room here and that's Genesis 3. This doesn't last very long like this is nice this is Eden but we're not living in Eden how do we actually work now well it's worth naming a few of the things that have happened as a result of the fall Romans puts it this way they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images that look like mortal humans birds animals and reptiles notice Paul is using the Genesis language of image and glory and he's using it now to talk about how the image is distorted and the glory is lost. And he says, look, all, in, in chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. One way to think about sin is that sin is a failure of our vocation. It's a failure of our work. It's a failure of our calling. We have failed our calling to worship God and to reflect his rule. Sin is in a very real way a failure of worship and work. Uh, picture with me an angled mirror. An angled mirror can reflect something up and reflect something down. Human beings were made to be angled mirrors. We we're supposed to reflect praise and worship upward to God and God's wisdom and love and order back down into the world. But in the garden, what happens is human beings turn the mirror toward themselves. And to say, no, 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 what do I need? How can I get this stuff? And not only is it a failure to worship, but it's a failure to work. And so then the world begins to come apart. The fall is a loss of glory. It's a loss of our own identity. It's a loss of our own authority. And it's a loss of our own vocation, our own calling. So the last thing we'll say about work this morning is that work after the fall then 
involves toil. Work after the fall is hard. It's toil. And it's worth naming a few of the reasons why. One of the reasons why work is toilsome is because our efforts are resisted. There's resistance now. You're trying to grow something, farmer, but weeds keep coming up. Or the weather is not cooperating. My father-in-law is a farmer, and, and it's unbelievable how much conversation revolves around weather. Because the weather is a, fact, is a factor, or soil, or, or which crops in which year. And all of this stuff matters because now our efforts are being resisted. It's not so easy. Now, in Colorado, we don't even try to grow anything, right? We're like, listen, the resistance is too great. But not only are our efforts resisted, but our motives are twisted. And you think about your own motives for work. We're not always altruistic about it. We're not always like, oh, I'm just here to help the customer. Baloney. Sometimes you just want to get the work done, clock out and get out of there. And you're like, I don't want to deal with another angry customer or an angry client. Can't do it. I don't want to listen to my employees anymore. I don't want you to, I'm out. Our own motives are twisted. We, we want to get what we can get and then go. And that, to be fair, we're part of the problem. Not only are our efforts resisted, but our motives are, 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 actually I should say, our motives are tainted. And thirdly, our lines of work are twisted. So our efforts are resisted, our motives are tainted, and our lines of work are twisted. When I, when I talk to people who are in um, different vocations, sometimes in healthcare, sometimes in finance, sometimes in, uh, in education, each one has a story of how their particular line of work is just a little bit bent. It's a little bit twisted. And someone was talking to me about the change of management with the hospitals being opened here in the city and saying it's just very difficult because there's all of this pressure that's really being driven by the bottom line. And, and, and we're trying to help people, but people up above are making decisions that are really just about how efficient and uh, cost-maximizing we can be here. And that's, that's a twisting of a good vocation. And all of us are working against the grain in that in some way or other, finance and offering people products that they don't actually need because we got to hit quotas. Every line of work is a little bit bent. Next week, Pastor Jason's going to talk about what it means to do good work in the midst of a fallen world, what it means to try to do something good in the midst of a world that is working against us. But today, it's just laying the work to say, this is what our calling is to work is meant to be, and that actually the call is still on. So what happens in Jesus, we heard the gospel reading this morning where Jesus says, I'm always working because my father is working, and we're working to bring something in the world. Paul picks up on this in Romans 8, and Paul starts to use some of this language about sonship and the image and glory, and in Romans 8, verse 16, Paul says, the same spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. We get to be restored to our place. And if we are children, we're also heirs. We get to join the family business. We're supposed to collaborate with God, fellow heirs with Christ. And if we really suffer with him so that we can also be glorified with him. Now skip down to verse 28. We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now pause for a moment. 
Arguably, you could translate the Greek in this a little bit differently, and you could say, we know that in all things. In fact, that's what the NIV says. We know that in all things, God is working. And you could even stretch that a bit more and just say, in all things, God is working with those who love God. He's working in all things and with us. Do you know how amazing that is? That means that there is no situation that you are in that God is not also there. Some of you are convinced that your places of work are God forsaken. Let me tell you, no place is God forsaken as long as the people of God are still there. No place is God forsaken unless the people, if the people of God are still there. You're there. And if you're there, Paul says, we know that God is working. Nobody else may know. Everybody else may think that school district is, ooh, that is never going to tr- change. Everybody else may think that neighborhood will not turn. Everyone else thinks that is not a good But we know, but we know that God is working. That's what Christians say on Monday morning. We say, I'll tell you what everyone else says, but I'll tell you what we know. We know that God is working. We know that God is on the scene. We know that God is on my commute with me this morning. We know that God is going to show up in my home this morning. We know that God is working in the midst of all things. But we know. And not just that he's working in all things, but he's working with us. With those who love God. For those who are called according to his purpose, and Paul will go on and use the language of image and sonship and glory to talk about how everything has been restored. See, because of the work of the Father and the Son, our call to work has been renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of the work of the Father and the Son, our call to work has been renewed by the power of the Spirit. talking with some people between the services this morning and we were commenting how it's very easy to fight fire with fire and you think well if this if everybody else is working this way and they're cutting corners and they're doing that then we'll just do it too but listen if Christians work that way too all we're doing is contributing to the wasteland of the world but you know what Christians ought to be like we ought to be like people who are tending a garden in the midst of a wasteland who are saying, look, everybody's out to try to work this way and do this, but you know what? I don't have much control. I'm way down. I'm not even middle management. I'm like low down. But this is my little cubicle, my little area, my little kitchen, my little laundry room. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that this is a garden of life right here. I'm going to cultivate this. It may not seem like much, but my call to work has been renewed. My call to reflect God's wisdom, God's love, God's order is renewed on. It's renewed. Nobody else may think that, but you can. And that, in a way, makes us like undercover kingdom agents in the world. No matter what your line of work is, paid or unpaid, where you're volunteering, where you're serving, where you're showing up, you are like an undercover agent, and everybody else thinks this is the job, but you're like, "Mm, the job is to bring God's wisdom into this moment. The job is to bring God's love into the moment. The job is to bring God's order into this moment. And it may be small. It may be one little conversation with someone at the water fountain, but you're bringing a little bit of love into a world that is cutthroat. That's what you're doing. That's what it looks like to work. You see, for the Christian, good work is the intersection of God's glory, the world's good, and our joy. For the Christian, good work is the intersection of God's glory, the world's good, and our joy. 
this is what we work for. This is why we work. I'm here to say, God, let your glory be glorified in this little itty bitty transaction I'm about to make. Be glorified in the way that I show a client another house, though I don't want to do this anymore. Lord, be glorified. Let it be for their good. And let it somehow in the end lead to my joy. It used to be that we thought that good work was the work that was like Christian ministry. Now, I'm a pastor. I believe in the calling to vocational ministry. And I believe in the good and critical work that missionaries are doing all around the world. Uh, We've been impacted by growing up in Malaysia. We've been impacted by missionaries and traveling ministries and all of that stuff. It's absolutely vital. But can I say to you that every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is on mission with Jesus. You don't have to do that kind of work for it to be good work. Just about, and I say just about, because there's probably some lines of work you should change, but just about every line of work can be offered to God and say, God, for your glory, for the world's good, and for our joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray this morning.